0: They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365
2: days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
3: New message. Hey, girlfriend, it's Carol from jury duty. We never actually spoke, but I saw you ordered the same hoagie as me at lunch. What are the chances? Anywho, I heard you just got a boat. We should totally grab some hoagies and take it out for a spin.
4: When you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year.
3: Do I want to feel the wind in my hair? Guilty as charged. <laughs> oh, seriously, let's ride on your boat.
4: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states.
3: Virginia isn't for one type of person. Virginia is for road trippers. Are we there yetters? Mountain hikers and dock sitters because they're not active hikers. People who are kayakers. People who are not kayakers. Campsite campers and horseback riders. Wow, there's a lot to fit in here. Flat water lovers beach suntanners, hole-in-the-earth explorers, and Shenandoah valleyers. Should I keep going here? Well, you get the idea, because Virginia is for all sorts of lovers. So come love it for yourself.
4: In Flanders' fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row. That mark our place, and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing, fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved. And now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. Hi, welcome. This is a very, very
0: special edition of That Me Podcast. Um, today the guest is Neil Fizzler, and basically what we're going to be doing, we're going to be talking about a couple of war heroes. We're going to be talking about the uh, Football Battalion uh, Regiment, and we're going to talk about some other Millwall players um, that you probably don't even know about. Um, this is going out on um, Amnesty Day, and it's a way that we decided um, would be a nice way to pay respects um, to the fallen, and obviously, being they Millwall fans, we thought it would be a good time for everybody to learn a bit of our history regarding uh, the Great Wars and also regarding our soldiers who um, who lost their lives through these great wars? So it gives me enormous pleasure to welcome our new signing and our new co-host, uh, Neil Fisler.
2: Mick. how you going, mate? Right,
0: yeah, not too bad, not too bad, not too bad at all. So, war heroes. Let's should we start? Should we start there then? Then lead from there. So um, you've teased us with the war heroes. So um, I take it you're going to be talking about Jack Cox. So let's let's go in on on Jack Cock a name what probably the older Millwall fan probably knows but the younger ones probably clueless
2: yeah Jack Cock very famous yeah but in the interwar period basically uh, Cornishman uh, played for Millwall between 1927 and 1931 was really the Neil Harris of his day if you like when Harris was in his pomp scored 92 goals in 135 games for us uh one of three footballing brothers and uh was part of the Millwall side which romped our way to the third division south title in nineteen twenty eight. Was an England international, extremely quick, uh with total command of the ball with his head and his feet, set a club record of seventy seven league goals, and that stood for about forty odd years. But was actually awarded a military medal in 1917 rising he was serving as the rank of an acting sergeant major so with probably quite a bossy geezer uh and earned his military medal for bravery in the field and was also mentioned in dispatches uh, for his gallantry uh unfortunately at one point of world war one he was actually reported as missing presumed dead but then turned up, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. Went on to manage Millwall between 1944 and 1948. Music Hall star, who actually starred in a couple of films as well, Mick. So, a film star, a football star,
0: and a... um, War hero. War hero. So, um, well... I mean, what What was he? Do we know what he was awarded
2: the um, Gallantry Medal for? Uh, bravery in the field. Doesn't give us what battle or anything else? No, 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 no. Well, well not that I could find. It, but <laughs> you've obviously you had an horrendous time, obviously, quite a brave man. Uh, it's. <laughs> it, it, and they didn't give these medals out lightly back then, did they? You no, know, yeah, well, let's face it, you had to earn them, there yeah.
0: Um, and to be fair, you know, World War One weren't the if if you can use the word prettiest, it, it wasn't um, the most pleasant of battles. Um, uh, yeah, you would have had to done something rather special to get a gallantry medal from the king,
2: yeah, uh, obviously. Yeah, well, he would have been horrendously scarred by this experience, I think. I think, and I don't think anybody, I don't, it was just a horrendous. People being sent to their deaths. Don't, don't forget, killed, you yeah, had... Commanders and that kind of thing. You had kids as well lying about
0: their age to go fight for king and country, um, which you wouldn't get nowadays. Um but you know, yeah, they 40, all 15. fifteen,
2: didn't they? They all wanted to do their bit.
0: Yep, yep. No, that's it. And they, 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 respected their country.
2: Yeah, you're almost shamed into it. That if you didn't go and do your bit, well, there's something quite wrong with you. These yeah, man. Yeah. because these. Yeah, but this wasn't modern warfare. This was, this was almost primitive bloody hand-to-hand combat stuff going over the top and things like that. So.
0: Yeah, and using bayonets and stuff like that. So who's the other war hero then?
2: Bill Voisey, uh banger Voisey. Uh this guy was real war. Born in Millwall, obviously came up through local clubs, Glengall Rovers, Millwall St John's, which was a feeder club to us, and joined Millwall Athletic in nineteen oh eight, served played in the first team from virtually 1910 to either side of World War, II, uh, World War I, sorry. Uh, 242 appearances and eight goals. Uh, finished his career at uh, Bournemouth, then went into coaching, coached at Leightonstone, uh, Fulham, where he was assistant trainer between 1930 and 1934, and uh, then returned to Millwall uh just before world war one uh world world war two was trainer uh he was uh acting manager throughout world war two uh when obviously the den was very heavily bombed so he so he saw us through that dark period and and later uh later carried on training and retired in nineteen
0: sixty two. With somebody some of the old training videos you see from back in those days were um, primitive to say the least, but also look at the damage um what the den um, got during those um, bombing campaigns on the on the docks um looking at some of the old pictures the den got hit really bad
2: absolutely uh, <laughs> you yeah, only needed one stray bomb I think it was one night and it virtually obliterated half the ground and and it, yeah, well, again, it wasn't, it couldn't have been that pleasant. Actually, Bill Voisey was actually the trainer to the Great Britain team in the 1936 Berlin Olympics, which was, I think, the Jesse Owens Olympics, wasn't it? Where they were, where Adolf Hitler uh, attended games and uh, didn't Owens won a sack full of gold medals?
0: Yeah, I mean,
2: you look back at,
0: you know, during the war period, I mean, it must, you know, it must have been something completely other to, to you know, live through it as a, you know, not being in, a, in the military or anything, but just being a, an individual during the Blitz in London. It um, must have been absolutely phenomenal. You know, it, it must have been scary. And, you know, one minute you go to bed, next minute you wake up and half the street's gone. Um, because the bombs were dropped indiscriminately they You know, depends if if, if the Spitfires and, and whatnot got after them Then obviously they wanted to drop bombs wherever they could um, To obviously get back across the channel and get away from them So sometimes it, it landed in the right places And sometimes it didn't I mean, all the way through Kent and, and Sussex and stuff Was hit really bad where they come under attack and they drop But, you know, living in London during the Blitz um, Yeah, especially... Well,
2: Block areas, yeah. He said, "Yeah, but London was a the target. They wanted to break our morale, and thought by bombing London, it that they'd have done that." But for Bill Voisey, of course, mm. it, yeah, but he'd been there and done it because he served in the. He was a sergeant in the Royal Artillery in the First World War, so you can imagine what that was like. And this Cross. guy, yeah, where well, this guy, one an absolute stack of medals. He won a distinguished service medal, a military medal, and a Belgian Croc de Guerre, which I think is their highest form of gallantry. And that was definitely one that they didn't give out, just for, no. for the day. No, that, that's, that's a, you know, that is a big medal to get. Um,
0: so, yeah, so he's Millwall through and through, no fear. Um, and was bang up for, you know, if he survived the First World War in in artillery and then came back, he he was going to be a hard man. Um, because back then, people didn't talk about stuff what bothered them, you know, they blamed it down on to shell shock and stuff like that. But, you know, what these men and young boys saw
2: um, must have been something else. Yeah, there was no virtual signal in wokeism, was there, back then? No. I mean, we got obviously
0: during the war, during the First World War, we we got the formation of um, the football battalion. Obviously, um, cricket and rugby competition stopped almost immediately. But because of the contracts and whatnot tied up within football, um, the football carried on for a little bit. But um, And then obviously, most of the players wanted to do their service.
2: Yeah, there was several prominent personalities at the time uh because f- professional football was going to actually carry on WG Grace was actually a the famous cricketer was uh was an opponent to it and the issue was raised in the house of commons such was the strength of feeling uh, king george V it was it was even suggested that he should withdraw his patronage to the football association and as we said, football professional footballers were vilified in large sections of the press. Christ, and if we thought we had a hostile press now, you should go back to them. They were they were branded as unpatriotic, which was probably, apart from being a coward, was probably the worst thing that you could be called.
0: No, definitely. So we go twelfth of December, nineteen fourteen. The um, William Johnson or Joyson Hicks. Uh, established the 17th service of the football battalion of the um, Middlesex Regiment. Obviously, this later become known as a football battalion. And then um, if you look, you know, realistically, um, you've got Frank Buckley, who obviously previous experience in the British Army, he was given the rank of lieutenant. He eventually was promoted to the rank of major. And then with a few weeks, the 17th battalion had 600 guys. If you fast forward a little bit, obviously they got a lot more players, but fast forward a little bit, March, um, 1915, it was reported, obviously they had 122 professional football players, um, joining it. And then on the 15th of January, 1916, the football battalion reached the front line. Um, and they were in the trenches. So, you know, um, what, well, a two-week period, I suppose. Four members of the football battalion were killed and 33 were wounded. Um,
2: These are absolutely horrendous <sighs> losses.
0: I mean, you go, you go, you think about it, really. A year before, they were playing football. And now, all of a sudden, they're in the trenches, in in the midst of the battle, um, potentially going to get injured or die, and that's their career over.
2: Yeah, it must have been... Yeah, well I guess that they were just Yeah, but they yeah, but as we said, they they probably didn't even think about it. They were just doing their bit to Yeah, well it was just another enemy really, wasn't it? They were they were all trained. They were trained as footballers, so they turned around and and tried to defeat the enemy. But what isn't actually that well known was there was a there was a series of uh, going going right back, there was a series of recruiting posters that were displayed at London Grounds, specifically aimed at home fans, and where a Millwall fan would be thus found himself being extorted as, let the enemy hear the lions
0: roar. Yeah, that's a quite a famous um, right. poster that's out there. There's also, I mean, you know...
2: Yeah, the it was
0: men of war, I think it was called wasn't it yeah the men yeah the men of Millwall, I think it was yeah the men of war but yeah we can we can find that and, and post that out um over the next day or so as well but uh, you know it was I think the way that the the government and the military at the time they they thought that most young men watch football so the way to try and increase the recruitment um with the young was to you know play the greater game and join the football battalion is one of their, you know, um, one of the, one of the lines, I think on the posters, but I mean, you know, you look at, um, the football battalion and, and, you know, they're, were, they're were in the Somme. They took heavy, um, casualties in the Somme, obviously in, the, in the July of 1916. Um, and this included the death of an England international, um, Evelyn Lincott. um, or Lindt, and these people were playing football not long before. I mean, it's just completely different. Would you, would could you imagine now, most of the top players playing in the Premier League? If we went to war tomorrow in a world war tomorrow, how many of them would want to join?
2: Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, hopefully there isn't a world war tomorrow. But yeah, now yeah, with all the money that's swirling around in the game. <laughs> These guys are proper heroes. These are <laughs> these are serious heroes. Walter Tull, obviously, I think it was first black professional in uh, footballer. He died in World War One, and I noticed the other day that they've recently discovered his grave somewhere. Very very brave people. Well,
0: this is obviously one bit what got me was um, Major Frank Buckley kept a record of what happened. Um, to the men under his command. And he later, later wrote during there that by the mid 1930s, over 500 of the battalion's original 600 men were dead, um, having either been killed in action or dying from wounds suffered during the fighting. Um,
2: You're you some didn't ever recover from it.
0: No. Can you imagine now that if all of a sudden we lost 500 of our top football players in this country?
2: yeah it would absolutely decimate the gang, wasn't it? but back then they just yeah the yeah there were people lining up to take their place, i guess
0: it was yeah, yeah a different generation different different generation and and something you know what you know people nowadays moan about um wokeism and all that lot um if it wasn't for these fellas. You wouldn't be able to have that now, so you yeah, know it's as much.
2: Balls, really,
0: yeah. Um, I know of four players um, from the war with with Millwall, um, but obviously having conversations um, with you and and regarding this, there's actually more. There's a there seems to be a lot more. Um, I know of the plaque. Um, which obviously the Millwall Museum boys
2: have, um, the
0: original brass plaque.
2: Which was actually, yeah, which criminally was actually rescued from a skip by them. Yeah. One day they would would go just, well, just before we moved grounds, they happened to be going down to the ground for something or other. Uh, Workmen were just chucking stuff in a skip. And this plaque and... uh, a plaque to do with a Royal visit was just ceremoniously lobbed away. Okay. Yeah,
0: no, that's it. It, it. Absolutely criminal. So, I mean, the two players on there who obviously died during the first world war or, or the great war, um, 1914, 1918. Um, I've got obviously is, is J Dimms or J Dimes, even, um, G Joe Porter, Joe. J Williams, and, um, C Green. Um, And hopefully, we're going to put some background to some of these players.
2: Yeah, we are, and we're actually actually we're going to start off with somebody that I've just written a Millwall Who's Who with Dave Sullivan, and I discovered not so long ago that there was somebody else to uh, actually add to the list of people that we know—a guy called Eddie Collins. Edward John Collins who was a fullback for Millwall between 1911 1912 played nine games he was a thick set Burley Mancunian fullback we've described him ok he'd actually moved south uh, from Carlisle United for a stint with Crystal Palace ok and then come to us on the back of what not, not making it at Crystal Palace well he stopped off at Fulham in between, and uh, they'd banned him signy die for for some misdemeanour. So they placed a life ban on him. Uh, the Football Association lifted it, and he came and played for us. Uh, as I said, December 1911 to 1912, made nine appearances. Played actually eight consecutive mid-season games in the Southern League. He was signed as an an understudy for Joe Kirkwood, who was obviously injured at the time. And uh, uh, nothing much more was known about him beyond uh, 1912. But recently we discovered that he actually died of pneumonia, serving as a sergeant in the Chinese Labour Corps, uh, just four days before the armistice was signed. So. <laughs> in, and he died in the Somme On the 7th of November 1918
0: Christ, that's How's your luck? Um, you know <laughs> Four days before And, you yeah, know It was That's The Somme was a horrible place The amount of people Who died there But So we, we've got one Millwall player Obviously I know of um, Joe Dines Which was obviously um, a Millwall player um, He was also a member of the British Olympic winning side in 1912 um, He won 24 amateur caps for uh, England as well um, He had a football appearance for Liverpool against Chelsea um, In 1912, Teacher by profession Joe um, come from King's Lynn um, And Joe was commissioned as a second lieutenant In the King's Liverpool Regiment And um, and then, obviously, unfortunately, he he was killed on the twenty seventh of September, nineteen eighteen. Again, less than two weeks, um, less than two weeks after his last game for the Lions.
2: Yeah, and it was actually eleven days after he arrived in France. Uh, also played for uh, obviously Kings Lynn, Queens Park Rangers. Played for Woolwich Arsenal, who back then were Millwall's big rivals uh Bradford City, Kings Lynn again, Ilford, Liverpool, Millwall, and Wolverhampton. Having Avenue. Uh, as you say, was a teacher by yeah by profession. Uh, who was given special permission by the Ilford Education Committee to join the machine gun corps and was given a temporary commission in the King's Liverpool regiment. And And unfortunately, the second lieutenant, unfortunately, died 11 days after arriving in France at Paz de Calais, or Calais, I think it would probably be known as now, uh, age 32, (laughs) no age at all. He's
0: younger than me. Um, And the fact that he was playing for the Lions two weeks before just shows you really um, what these people, you know, I mean, that's coming up towards the end of the war. But obviously, these people, you know, probably didn't know that the end of the war was, was coming. Um, you know, two months later, the war was over um,
2: or thereabouts. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was over, wasn't it? And it's, it was just mind blowing that people were, people were still being sent over there with the war and they were dying in, their, in great numbers in the closing days of the war.
0: No, oh, completely. So, another one on on the plaque is obviously um, George Porter um, from East London. He served as a lance corporal with obviously the Somerset Light Infantry. Um, he obviously remained an amateur player. Um, he made two appearances for Millwall. Um, so, what what else do we know about him?
2: Is an England amateur international. Uh, so, obviously, was. A pretty good player. Started off playing for Ilford, then Bo Argyle, so Bromley by Bolad. Uh, had a trial at Norwich, please Omar. Uh, Town, Peterborough City, as they were, and then Millwall Athletic. Made his debut in a 1-0 defeat against QPR in 1914. So, um Actually, he recovered from breaking his leg in a reserve match. I was just just about to say that,
0: against Arsenal, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, at Ivory, in February 1915, to join the Dorsetshire Regiment. A Lance Corporal, George transferred to the Somerset Light Infantry and was injured during fighting and died from his wounds at the Berry Road Auxiliary Hospital in Northampton. So, was obviously... So, he had... uh,
0: he he was one of the lucky ones to be brought back to England, um, where unfortunately he died of his injuries.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, served in the served in the Duke of Edinburgh, so Duke of Cambridge's own Middlesex Regiment, the Sixteenth Service Battalion, Public Schools, the Eighteenth Service Battalion, First Worked Pioneers. God blimey, They love a yeah. They love a yeah. They love a long battalion, don't they? And they just. So served in the Dorsets and the Somerset Light so,
0: so another that, another line that was um, killed in action and again he was um, on the plaque was um, Charles Green um, who to be fair, not a lot well uh, maybe until now but not a lot is actually known about Charles Green
2: fun, I had a discussion with a millwall historian earlier on because obviously we're trying to look into this, and there is absolutely nothing known about Charles Green. He, he was actually, we believe he was Charles Edward Green, who uh, who died on the 28th of April 1917, was, uh, was serving in the 7th Battalion of the Middlesex Regiments, was a gardener and tram washer, so a working man, But we actually think that his career details have been intertwined with a George Green, who was a Southampton player who played for Millwall, because obviously players could guest for other clubs during the war. Because of well, obviously, your main players will yeah, we had a significant number of players off on service duty at this time. So so you got in a guest player, and we're not sure about Charles Edward Green. Uh, we think he might have been a reserve player who played some war, who might have just been serving with somebody, might have, and well, you have another Millwall player in the footballers' battalion who might have said, "Come down and have a game for the reserves," something. But but not an awful lot is known about him he's a real mystery and, and, and you're know, a mystery man of the plaque. Nobody, nobody knows who commissioned this plaque, how it came about and that there's just four names on that.
0: Well, I thought this plaque was commissioned by Millwall and, um, the local council, but I, I, I mean, I'd have to go through stuff when we were with, um, AMS stuff years back. Um, we did some research back then on it, but yeah. So we've done a couple. Um, there are a couple of obviously other players there, but stick to the ones on the, um, on the plaque. So the final
2: one on the plaque or, so what about Williams? Jack Williams, Ginger Williams, a stocky, well-built prolific goal scorer in junior football. Uh, Played for Millwall between 1913 and 1915. Scored 12 goals in 59 appearances. Had done the rounds up north. Had played for Accrington, who were the forerunners of Accrington, Stanley, Birmingham. Another spell at Accrington. Then came south to play for Crystal Palace. And then joined Millwall in February 1914. Accrington. Quite a good scoring record at the Nigels, playing inside forward or centre forward. He was a great favourite, scoring 58 goals in 149 appearances, which brought him to the attention of Welsh selectors, and he won two Wales caps. He joined Millwall for a club record fee and was a near-ever present in the last season in the Great War, helping us win the London Challenge Cup in 1914. Wow. Middlesex Battalion. And, uh, yeah, uh, and died on the 5th of June 1916.
0: So, we've done the plaque, guys. There is a couple of others. There's, There's a guy called Fred
2: Griffiths. Yes, Fred Griffith,
0: who was a uh, a monster of a fella, six foot two, fifteen stone, was a um, uh, a keeper who was also a Welsh international.
2: Yeah, that's right. He was a uh, yeah, but well, he actually took over from Tiny Joyce, great great Millwall name. Uh, it was a uh, it was quite a hefty goalkeeper himself, actually. Uh, made. Uh, Thirty-four appearances for us, nineteen hundred 1900 to nineteen oh one. Then went on to play for Tottenham, Preston, West Ham United, New Brompton, Middlesbrough, Shirebrook Moors Athletic.
0: Didn't he end up becoming a coal miner later on as well? He, 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 he I don't
2: know. I think after
0: football, he went and become well, a coal miner.
2: Yeah, he went to work for a. Builder ran a hotel uh, and a butcher's before enlisting in the 15th Battalion of Sherwood Foresters, Nottinghamshire Regiment. I mean,
0: when he went to when he went to war, obviously, eventually he lost his life in 1917. But he was um, he had a a, a good innings, I suppose.
2: um, Around then, he was 44 you know, you talk about how you're lucky he was actually an, a training instructor or, or or instructor at a training camp for 3 years was sent to belgium 9 weeks before he died he was sergeant so <laughs> it's just unbelievable that the, you read these names out oh definitely you read what you've written about them and how brave these people actually were. Alright,
0: so um we've gone through quite a few so far, a lot more than possibly people realised. Um there was another player, weren't they called Glenn? was it Glenn? There was a,
2: another player, David Glenn. Yep, not a very well known player, only played one game for Millwall, an inside forward. Uh played, he made his only appearance against Croydon Common, who were uh, Quite a famous non-league team around the turn of the 20th century. A Stocky, robust Scott, with a uh, with a well, with a robust style of play, could f- play almost anywhere in uh, the forward positions. He actually shone in a trial game, which was a London Challenge Cup. London Challenge Cup was a huge competition back then, but we lost to West Ham and uh, did very little in his only Southern League appearance and returned to his native Breakin. So, obviously, a Scotsman who worked in stone quarries and on farms and in bleach plants on, on road mending. So, was a working-class man. Uh, during the 13th War, uh, Scott served as a sergeant, was... Uh, was awarded a military medal for his conduct in the field when his commanding officer wrote, I always found him a most capable and fearless leader. Uh, unfortunately, he lost his life on a bitterly cold April morning in 1917, the 9th of April 1917.
0: So we've gone through First World War. Um, is there any more in the First World War who we... Haven't mentioned
2: yet? Yeah, there's Arthur wilman Oh, yeah, Nipper. Nipper, who was, a, who was a useful attacking inside forward to have a round. Uh, he played for us and played for Chelsea, went on to play for Luton Town.
0: He, he was a sergeant, money in the Royal Sussex Regiment?
2: Yep. Uh, obviously, uh, he... he he, yeah, but he actually joined up and was a member of the 17th Service Battalion, the 1st Footballers Regiment, uh, was a regular with Luton before the Great War. He joined. Uh, he joined the Middlesex Battalion and the Royal Sussex Regiment, declining the offer of a commission. And also was awarded a was awarded a military medal after fighting in the so called Battle of Tower Hamlets, which which was which was a strange name to give a battle. I must admit, in 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 even yeah, well, the First World War, his brother was also a professional footballer with Burton, uh, Burton United, Chelsea, and South End. Okay, so I mean. I think pretty much that is all the first world war,
0: um, players who unfortunately died. We had a couple obviously survive. Um, we had a couple what were given, um, gallantry medals for their service. Obviously you, you, you name um, Biller or Banger. Um, there was obviously Joe Lansdale, um, Jack Fulton, Dick Hill, um, who got gallantry medals.
2: Um, did we lose any in the second world war yeah we lost three in the second world war probably the probably the best well known was fred fisher who was a very good very very good footballer he was killed in action over france on the 26th of july 1944 we picked him up from uh, chesterfield for 1600 pounds it's a lot of money back then Yet, yeah, quite a lot of money. He was a. Uh, he'd helped uh, Barnsley win a Division Three North title in 1934, and was signed to stiffen Millwall's standing as a club on the rise. He was
0: it was described as a pocket Dynamo, standing five foot five.
2: Yep, and a. Uh, uh, he he acquired an instant rapport with Jimmy Richardson after replacing Jim Rawlings was actually an unoff- he won an unofficial England cap in 1941 in a game against Wales and also appeared for the central league against the football combination. Sadly lost his life serving his country as a rear gunner in the 166th squadron on a mission Uh, to Stuttgart, Uh, so no last known resting place, unfortunately. And his brother Stanley was a footballer for Barnsley and uh, Halifax. Right, so again, there was a lot of football families back then, were not there? Yeah, obviously, yeah. Uh, Quite a few of the players that we've talked about had footballing siblings and came from large families back then didn't you really so and I guess I guess it all followed in the Jinx. so um another player from back then was a guy called Harry Salmon Harry Salmon yep he 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 was a Millwall player between 1934 and 1936 he was an inside forward when he from Stoke yeah he played he played inside right uh Played for, yeah well, yeah, well, we're talking about football in families. His father was actually uh, played for Burslem Port Vale, a team that we now, is, now know as Port Vale. Uh, an excellent tackler, very good in the air, was a member of the Stokes side that claimed a second division title in 1932. Uh, a raw inside forward who was converted into a second half uh, into a center half in his second season at the Den and later won a uh, Shropshire Senior Cup with Shrewsbury. was an electrician by trade and was a still inspector when he joined up because obviously he was playing non league for, for Shrewsbury back then and died. Uh, age 34, serving as a sergeant in the Royal Warwickshire Regiment uh, during the Battle of Cannes on the 30th of July 1944.
0: And an interesting fact there, both uh, Freddie and Harry died within four days of each other in July 1944.
2: Yeah, the, just goes to show, doesn't it? That it, These things, it just... It, we have, obviously it wasn't on the the deaths weren't on the scale of World War One, but it just drives home when you lose two people in such quick succession.
0: Absolutely, I mean you know you had World War One where they lost a hell of a lot of players. I think we've done about eight of them, um, and then World War Two they lose you know
2: three. Um, Third one was a guy called Lionel Thornton. Okay, let's. See. So tell us about Lionel then. Lionel Thornton, you talk about how's your luck? This guy, this guy's done it all. He was a strap in England, amateur international. Played for Millwall as an amateur, so he played the game for fun. Uh, joined a, uh, he, he made one appearance against Charlton Athletic in a in a cup game. Uh. Oh, it was actually the Football League Jubilee Fund, as it was back then. We lost 1-0 at home. Yeah, but they could beat us back then. They can't beat us now, unfortunately. Tinney, as he was known, uh, was an engineer and then a director of a Derby Printers. So quite how he came to play for Millwall isn't isn't known. He joined the Sherwood Foresters at the outbreak of World War II, rising to the rank of Major. He survived the evacuation of Dunkirk in 1940, only to be killed two years later in the Far East, when a Japanese ship uh, carrying prisoners of war was sunk by a US submarine.
0: Friendly fire even back then, eh?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think that was a ship where another Millwall player called Albert Hall was on, and he survived. Right. I
0: mean, the other the other thing, you mentioned Dunkirk. Um, those Millwall fans were listening to this and came on the AMS boat to Fulham um, what, five years ago, or, or four, five, six years ago, uh, when we first did the boat. We went uh, on the Thames on a boat called the Hurlingham, and the Hurlingham was one of the boats what went across the Channel and helped rescue um, and be part of the evacuation of Dunkirk. So those Millwall fans what actually travelled on the AMS boat to Fulham were actually on the same boat what rescued um, a lot of our armed forces from Dunkirk um, during the war.
2: Yeah, that was quite an operation, that wasn't it? Obviously, I. I think anybody who's seen the film, they commandeered anything that floated. I think didn't they make almost?
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, you look at the do you? You look at the Hurlingham. The Hurlingham's a lovely boat on the Thames, but would I want to be taking it across the Channel? Um, probably not. Um, but again, you know, people again just wanted to do things for king or country, so
2: any boat they could um, across it went. Yeah, and uh, obviously awful conditions and it was just to get the boys home really wasn't it things had gone a bit wrong at dunkirk and uh they just had to get them back so Uh, sadly there's there's not many of those veterans left now no obviously it was what 80 odd years ago wasn't it so so they're a dying breed aren't they they are indeed so um do you have any more names for us then neil one we did leave off, unfortunately, off the World War One was George King.
0: Yes. We overlooked George King, didn't we? <laughs> we did indeed. And, and I do apologise um, for that. So come on, in, let's, um, let's do him
2: justice and, and let's uh, tell his story. He was one of seven Scotsmen brought in by Millwall, head of their first season in the Southern League. Had uh, four seasons at the Old East Ferry Road and won Southern League and Western League titles twice each. Played for the Southern League and departed to Dockers, as we were known back then, after 104 appearances and 11 goals. Uh, signed up with a guy called Willie Jones at Ride on the Isle of Wight where he actually worked as a general labourer, uh, we discovered in uh, looking through old files, and then returned to Sunderland, where he, where he started his career at Sunderland Albion, became the, a carpenter's labour for the River Weir Commissioners. He joined the 20th Tyneside Scottish Regiment of the Northumberland Fusiliers, uh, but unfortunately, he was killed on the very first day of the Somme offensive, so he'd been through everything, got sent out to the Somme, and then died on the 1st of July 1916.
0: We lost so many players back then, it'll be interesting, maybe, to do a show at some point about you know these players what died across the football teams, not just ours. Um, maybe look at a couple of other. Uh, historians and whatnot and see because you know to lose 500 players um during the somme and, and other battles around the first world war it's a hell of a lot of players to lose um and they could have gone on to be superb players
2: yeah there was yeah but well, there were some superb players in there obviously like, and there was would, yeah there have been rising stars there would have been all all kinds of players. You. Your squad players, your reserve players, and they're just brave, weren't they? They were just absolutely a different breed.
0: Uh, they were. They were. Um, so I think we've pretty much covered all the players what we wanted to mention, um, unless
2: you've got any others for World War Two? No. No, there were only the three in World War Two. So only the three. <laughs> Probably three too many, but No, you know,
0: to be fair, it's eight in World War One or, or nine in World War One and three in World War Two is um is pretty much a full team in theory. Um
2: it would have been back then, it would have been a full team and and because, because you didn't have subs, did you?
0: No. Um we put a message out. Um, over the weekend um, asking and we got a few responses asking people um, if there's anyone they wanted us to to put their name onto this um, and we had a few responses um possibly not as many as we wanted but to be fair um, we've got a few and maybe next year we we'll, we we'll hopefully get a few more and keep these you know these people's names um, alive as such so um, maybe it's a good time that we go on to these.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Are you going to read them out? Have you got the messages there? I have got the messages here. Um, I suppose the first
0: one um, is a a gentleman by the name of James Valance. Um, he died in the Battle of Jutland on the 31st of May or the 1st of June on HMS Defence, World War One. He was a ship's boy, one coal shoveler, and they think he was
2: 17 years of age when he died. Unbelievable. The Battle of Jutland, a savage naval battle, wasn't it? Because, (laughs) yeah, well, we had supremacy on the seas or so we thought, and we came a bit unstuck at the Battle of Jutland.
0: We did indeed. Um, talking about this is this is where it gets a bit a bit weird as such we've had I think we had about three or four people um, give us names and we've got another one um, this is um, a great-grandfather uh, perished again at a battle of of Jutland World War One um, And His name Was Arthur uh, Arthur Richardson And he was Abel Seaman uh, His service number Was J39185 And he was On the HMS um, Is it indef- indefatigable, Fatigable yeah um and again it doesn't doesn't give his age um but i'll probably suggest that he's probably not far from the same age
2: yeah just shocking that young men gave everything and these are people's relatives and they left relatives behind and We're only now discovering about these kind of things, aren't we, with all of these records becoming more readily available? Yep, absolutely. Um, We will put the full
0: details on the show notes, but we've got another one here, Uh, someone's great uncle, Private Thomas P. Mahoney, service number 2436. He was in the London Regiment uh, 22nd Battalion. Um, He died on the 9th of July 1916. And he was aged 19.
2: These are teenagers. I've, yeah, well, I've got a son who's older. It just brings home to you, doesn't it? He was the son of Joseph and uh, Teresa
0: Mahoney of 3 Sendon Street, Woolworth, London. Um, he's buried in France. Um, we've got another one who is a... Um, George Emerson um, Markham, Private E, Yorkshire Regiment, killed in action. Killed in action on Saint George's Day, twenty third of April, nineteen seventeen. No, uh, potentially no grave. Um, he's 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 got he's, he's at the ours um, memorial, but um, it looks as if he's possibly in an un- unnamed grave there. Um, yeah they're the they're the list we've got obviously when we do the show notes, we put full details what we were given Um, and there is one from world war two it says it says uh, there's another from world war two on my mum's side but only found out recently about my granddad's twin brother he never spoke of him or his own dunkirk experience complete mystery who flew for the Canadian Air Force or the Royal Air Force. Again, a mystery, but died on a mission we think in Egypt, but inquiries are ongoing. My granddad was a Wright Herbert, by the way, out of Clerkenwell, who was orphaned as a kid and taken in off the streets by a family, so possibly lost contact with his brother. My granddad was John Broomhead, sometimes Johnson. He fought bare knuckles as John Johnson. His brother was Donald Broomhead. So again... You know, you're talking of twin brothers separated and lived
2: two completely independent lives. Yeah, and and probably got no known grave, just as the just as the one before that, where they were quite often they were they were either blown to smithereens for the want of a better term, or they were just buried in a shell hole to get rid of the bodies and you know, it's very sad. Very sad.
0: Uh, exactly. I mean, one thing. What I think we'll end um, we'll end on is obviously the unknown, um, the unknown hero, the, the tomb of the unknown hero. Um, and November the seventh, nineteen twenty, in the strictest secrecy, four unidentified British bodies were exhumed from temporary battlefield cemeteries um, uh, across the battle. Um, none of the soldiers who did the digging were told why. Their bodies were then taken by field ambulance um, to St. Paul Sir My pronunciation probably isn't great. Uh, once there, the bodies were draped with a Union flag. Sentries were posted and Brigadier General White and Colonel Gell selected one body at random. The other three were reburied. A French honour guard was selected and stood by the coffin overnight of the chosen soldier um, all night, never left his side. On the morning of the 8th of November, a specially designed coffin made of oak from the grounds of Hampton Court arrived and the unknown warrior was placed inside. On top was placed a crusader's sword and a shield on which inscribed a British warrior who fell in the Great War, 1914 to 1918 for king and country. On the 9th of November, the unknown warrior was taken by horse-drawn carriage through Guards of Honour and the sound of tolling bells and bugle calls to the quarry side. There he was saluted by Machin Forge and loaded onto the HMS Vernon, bound for Dover. The coffin the stood on the deck covered in reefs, surrounded by the French Honour Guard. Upon arrival at Dover, the unknown warrior was met with a 19-gun salute something that was normally only reserved for field marshals. A special train was arranged and he was then convoyed to Victoria Station, London. He remained there overnight and on the morning of the 11th of November, he was finally taken to Westminster Abbey. The idea of the unknown warrior was the thought of a padre called David Railton, who was served on the front line during the Great War. The Union flag he had used as an altar cloth whilst at the front was the one that he'd been draped over, which had been draped over the coffin. It was his intention that all of the relatives of 517,773 combatants whose bodies had not been identified could believe that the unknown warrior could very well be their lost husband, father, brother or son. This is the reason we wear poppies. We do not glorify war we remember with humanity, with humanity, the great and the ultimate sacrifice that were made, not just in war, but in every war and conflict where our service personnel had fought to ensure the liberty and freedoms that we now take for granted. Every year on the 11th of November, we remember the unknown warrior and the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. I think that is, opponent, is, a, is a point and position to end this. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, absolutely, Mick. Absolutely, very well put, very well read. They shall grow not old as we who are left grow old. Age shall not weary them nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning,
4: we will remember them. We will remember them.
2: When you go home, tell them of us, and say, for your tomorrow, we gave our today.
3: Progressive
4: is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator.
1: Okay, so this bike says she is struggling with her place in the motorcycle community. Well, she says she hasn't peaked yet, but she's having a little epiphany. Okay. Oh, that maybe life itself is the peak. Hmm, interesting. In my experience, I
3: found it. That... I just translate. Not allowed to have opinions. Got it.
4: Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates.
3: The
0: TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team.